The first cut on this record has been cross-format focused for airplay success. The men beat on their drums. Welcome to another episode of Politics Theory Other, a podcast from Tribune magazine. My name is Alex Doherty and my guests today are Antonella Serechia and David Broder. We spoke about the nationwide lockdown in Italy that was imposed by the Italian government on Tuesday in response to the escalation of the coronavirus crisis. Today's show is brought to you by PTO supporters on Patreon and also by Verso Books, who have a great many titles that might be of interest to listeners. This month, Verso are publishing Kojin Karatani's Marx Towards the Centre of Possibility, a pioneering work of critical theory now available in English for the first time. Originally published in 1974, this classic study of Marx by Japan's leading critical theorist laid the groundwork for Marxist discourse in Japan at that time. To mark its publication, it is 40% off on Verso's website until the end of March. Visit versobooks.com for more information. Antonella Serechia is a journalist based in Milan, where she works for TheVision.com. She holds a master's degree in journalism from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands, where she also worked on the links between the Calabrian Mafia in the country. Antonella is currently in Milan, the capital of Lombardy, one of the centres of the coronavirus outbreak. My second guest is David Broder. David is the Europe editor for Jacobin magazine and a historian of French and Italian communism. He's currently writing a book on the crisis of Italian democracy in the post-Cold War period, and he lives in Rome. I began the interview by asking Antonella about the current situation in Milan and across Lombardy and the north of Italy more generally, and specifically how well the local health system is coping with the scale of the crisis. The situation here in Milan, I mean, from where I'm standing right now, it seems everything seems quite normal. Uh, There are not many people in the streets, but I'm guessing in a city centre, you can see the difference from normal days. But in the hospitals, the situation is quite bad at the moment because there was a huge amount of hospitalizations uh, these days. The hospitalization rate is quite high and uh, there are a lot of uh, of the people who are hospitalized need intensive care. At the moment, the numbers from yesterday, the official numbers say that right now uh, 8,514 uh, people have the virus and among these people, 877 need intensive care. So this put, uh, puts a lot of pressure on the healthcare system in, in the north of the country since the um, the healthcare in Italy is uh, decentralized, so it's more or less managed by regions. There is a big difference um, between uh, the north and the south and every region. Uh, generally, the northern uh, system is considered more efficient, but still the pressure is high and uh, the thing is, the healthcare system in Italy is uh, mostly understaffed, and we do have an average of hospital beds per person, which is lower than the EU average. 
So even though it's considered like generally efficient uh, in the OECD area, for sure the virus, I mean, is putting pressure, as I said, on the system, for sure. Yes. And the south of Italy is, of course, in general, much poorer than the north. So presumably there's a great deal of uh, fear about what an outbreak in the south might look like. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, uh, what happened this weekend in the night with, between the 7th and the 8th of March, when the decree was leaked and, you know, like thousands of people panicked and started to go home, like uh, people who lived in Milan, but were originally from other parts of the country, started to go home. And these will be like the, the consequences of what happened will be seen in the next 14 days. I mean, the, the time of the, the, the time that the virus need to, you know, mm, the incubation to, period. Exactly. So we, uh, I'm, I'm guessing. I mean, I hope this, this won't be true, but I'm, I'm guessing that the number of of people who have the disease will increase in uh, every region of the country, and and this is a problem in regions where the healthcare system is already very inefficient. Um, let's say. David, you've written quite a lot about the Lager and how the Lager have been running local governments. And of course, the Lager is in power in Lombardy and, and Veneto, uh, two of the hardest hit parts of the north. What's your sense of, of the Lager's uh, response and, and how has the Lager's rule in those areas contributed or otherwise to, to the scale of the crisis? Well, I think it's, it's interesting because the Lega has you know, sought to attack the central government's handling of the crisis. You know, it's been trying uh, for some months, obviously, to, to unseat the, the ruling five-star democratic coalition. Uh, as Antonella said, the regions are in charge of healthcare. And in Lombardy, in particular, I think before the um, Attilio Fontana's uh, government came in, you know, the Lega had sort of opposed health spending cuts. I think it's interesting to read, um, so if you read, say, Vittorio Agnoletto, who's a, a professional uh, doctor who, who's written a lot about the, the funding situation there, and he's basically, well, you know, his basic point is, in government, the Lega has, has a plan to cut waiting times in the health system by forcing more people to use private health care. And overall, it's true that in absolute terms, national Italian health spending has continued to go up over the last 20 years, even while the economy has flatlined. But that's only true in absolute terms. So if you factor in inflation, or indeed you consider the, the reality that uh, you know, Italy has a rapidly aging population, uh, the resources available are, are, are you know, less and less sufficient. And this crisis has produced uh, a conflict between the regional governments and the the central government in which uh, the Lega has very harshly criticized Giuseppe Conte, the prime minister's handling of the whole situation, and accused him of overriding the regions. Um, I think you know, this, this kind of criticism is uh, pretty opportunistic. Uh, there was some talk of trying to use it to actually you know, unseat the government and, and replace it with some sort of national unity administration. Uh, if anything, actually, I... I, I my my feeling is that the the seriousness of the crisis probably means that that kind of movement has become too kind of unseemly to 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 actually pull off. But um, 
Antonello is right, of course, that it, it's true that in, you know, let's say Lombardy does indeed have the, the best uh, healthcare system in, in Italy and is one of the richest regions. But at the same time, you know, I mean, what we're seeing now is, you know, there was some quite interesting stuff uh, in the Bergamo, which is like, you know, near Milan, the, the hardest hit province, I think. And, you know, basically like anyone over 80 years old, they're not treating them because they just don't have the, don't have the, the resources. Yeah, that is actually very true. And um, like in the weekend, the association of like some specialists and professionals in the healthcare sector published this uh, list of recommendation for, for the people working and the doctors especially saying that the principle that normally guides the healthcare professionals is first come, first served. Whereas right now they are starting to use a principle which is more based on the, the actual possibility of the person to survive. This is actually what happens in war. This is a scenario that normally uh, doctors use this principle when they are working on a, on a war zone or in a catastrophe. Yeah, kind of a, a triage uh, system. I mm. mean, do, mm -hmm. do you have much sense of how the public is responding to that? I mean, how widely is that known? And is there re resistance to shifting to that kind of response? I mean, if you, if you read the news right now, uh, it doesn't seem so. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem that people like actually understood what is happening in hospitals and especially what will happen in hospitals which have uh, less resources than the ones that are for, uh, are dealing with the crisis right now. So uh, I am not sure. I mean, I, I think people didn't understand that they could potentially be sent home if they are like too old and don't have much chance of surviving. A lot of commentators have made the point that, that the coronavirus outbreak will reveal the, the, the fault lines and, and the resilience or, or otherwise of each society that is hit by the, by the virus. What do you think the outbreak has revealed about the state of Italian society and, and, and of state capacity in, in 2020? Well, I mean, I, I suppose at the start of the crisis, my reaction was very much to see how many people were, were were panicking and you know resorting to like very individual solutions so obviously both the buying of masks and the panic buying of of goods are like reactions based on in a sense you could say uh, that they're sort of selfish or, or you know you're trying to like hoard resources because you think there's, think there's not going to be enough for everyone but obviously in, in a sense that also reveals a, a certain lack of faith in the authorities to deal with the general situation as if like you know we're in it for ourselves but then again i mean i think probably over time i'd say in a way i've been quite impressed by how resilient people are you know it's kind of easy to suggest that italy is kind of chaotic and also like you know as if like the fact that it's the the situation is much worse in italy than other countries in some way owes to a kind of chaos or like a, a You know, the, the incompetence of officials or something. But I don't really think that's true. You know, I think it's not like led to like, you know, sort of violent clashes and so on. I mean, the exception, of course, is the prison rioting we've seen. Firstly, because in several areas, the um, prisons have cancelled or greatly reduced the amount of visits. And also, of course, because people in prison expect to be more vulnerable because obviously they're trapped in large numbers. And, you know, I think uh, 16 people have already died in prison rioting in the last few days. Um, so that's, you know, very uh, terrible and tragic development. But, I mean, I think also, like, 
there's certain kind of problems in in also in terms of like who is going to take responsibility for all this and in a sense you know who is going to pay for the cost of it because you know obviously this is probably you know, pretty likely to pitch Italy into recession. Um, there have been some figures like uh, Giorgio Gori, who's the, the mayor of uh, Bergamo, who sort of said, well, in, you know, like everyone's going to miss work for a few weeks now, but maybe we can all kind of catch up by working over August. Um, obviously, a lot of businesses are going to have to lay off staff, going to suffer. Uh, there's been some kind of relief measures proposed, for example, like in terms of allowing people not to pay their bills or not to pay their mortgages. But then, of course, that doesn't apply to, to private rent. So, so I think that is storing up all kinds of problems. But, you know, I think in general, it's not as if the social fabric is breaking apart. Would you, I mean, Antonella, would you more or less, uh, would you more or less agree with that uh, analysis? And, and do you perhaps think that the situation in the north has perhaps been maybe improved by the extension of the lockdown to the entire country, uh, which obviously sort of conveys a message of we're, we're all in this together to some extent? Mm -hmm. No, uh, yeah, I totally agree with David. I mean, like in terms of um, the social impact, I mean, I, I do believe that what happened in the two weeks before the crisis became so obvious that it couldn't be denied, the debate was very polarized. Like there was a group of people who insisted that it was like a sort of flu-like disease, that everybody was panicking without reason, that, uh, you know, it was a crisis invented by the media. And then there was this other group of people insisting that we were uh, not doing enough, that we had to implement strict measures from the beginning. But this polarization, like, confused the people a lot. So I think this is the reason why right now, like if I'm I'm looking now at the latest poll, which is from the end of February. So it's before like the strict measures of last weekend uh, were implemented. But it's 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 very strange because like if you see like 86 percent of people believe that the measures are right. But at the same time, 67% of people believe that uh, it's the government's fault if the virus spreads so much in Italy. So I think this, like, this, is, uh, this contradiction uh, shows how people are actually so confused because um, even experts thought, you know, there was this huge fight between like two medical experts, one saying it was all like a panic reaction and the other saying we weren't doing enough, you know. So I'm guessing like the normal, like the average Italian doesn't know what to think. I mean, I guess another thing which, which I'd add is that indeed it is this precisely this problem of like the feeling of not knowing who to trust or, or which is the like real authority who's, who's really like telling it like it is. And also that problem extends to the, the fact that the indications people have been given are you know unclear like Antonella referred earlier to the the uh, what was it Saturday night that the it was leaked to the press that the government was planning to isolate the 14 provinces of northern Italy and you know that was like it was like issued sort of but it was leaked and then uh, we didn't know when it came into force and then uh, as Antonella said some people started like fleeing and you know there was like crowding of trains at, at stations and so on and then even the following day there were still flights out of Milan and only the following day did that end and again now with this decree extending the measures nationally it's like well you're not allowed to travel without you know a valid reason and there's this form you have to fill in 
But the fact that it, it's not apparent how that's going to be policed, if there's going to be roadblocks, you know, what, how far you're allowed to move them back, uh, it, it all seems very um, imprecise. And today there's been uh, some call for in in uh, Lombardy in particular for for it to be like a full shutdown of everything. Uh, and it, it seems kind of weird that the the in a sense it seems weird that that hasn't been done. Do you think part of that is for fear of the economic consequences? Because obviously Italy was, uh, the Italian economy was in pretty poor shape before the virus hit and has been teetering uh, on the edge of a banking crisis for, for a very long period of time. Yeah, I mean, and not, and right now they are talking about, uh, like Confcommercio said, uh, the estimated loss in terms of consumption will be around like $4 billion dollars. And um, 60,000 jobs are at risk and 15,000 small businesses. So it, the impact will be huge for sure. But um, so I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm guessing right now the, the government in without um, giving a judgment on, you know, what they are doing and how I think the struggle right now is just to balance everything it's, that's on the table, you know, like uh, constitutional rights, like the right of movement, the right of uh, entrepreneurship. And at the same time, the right of having, you know, uh, being in a good health. And but then there is also like the economic impact on the table. That's uh, that's huge. And I think it's just uh, the struggle is trying to balance everything right now that's on the table. And it's it's not easy. And I think closing everything would be it. It could be seen as a sign of telling people this is real. I mean, this is true. You don't have to go out. I mean, not giving the people the excuse of going out to buy that thing or that other thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy for everyone to think like, I think for each individual, it's kind of easy to think like, well, you're not going to get it because of course only a quite small amount of people have, you know, relative to the entire population. So there needs to be some sort of, and also of course, you know, it's like young people are much less likely to, even if they get it, they're much less likely to, to die or anything. And actually, I mean, earlier in the in the crisis, it was kind of like a lot of, like, say, in in Rome, where, where I live, you know, a lot of, like, university libraries and stuff were shut. And so, you know, a lot of people were, therefore, just, like, stuck kind of doing nothing. And then that made them even more likely to, like, group together in, like, bars and stuff and, like, hang around. So, like, where I live, it wasn't even, like, that noticeable that anything was happening. Also, of course, because for a while, as we've said, it was quite difficult to know how seriously to take this whole issue. So therefore, it, it seems difficult to kind of take like huge decisions to shut everything down in the way that, for example, China could in Wuhan. Also, of course, because we're talking about the entire country. Uh, and you know, even speak, even if we refer to just Lombardy, that's like what, like a fifth or a quarter of the entire country's economy. So I think, um, and of course, you know, uh, Italy relies heavily on tourism, so was reluctant to, to to shut that down at first. But now, of course, there's no well, there's no flights in that from Britain, for example. But you know, I mean, I think uh, also returning to the question of of like what um, what this says about Italian society. I mean, I think it's a very good thing that sort of measures are being taken to contain this, and that it is being taken seriously as a public health issue. And not just something where we each individually des- decide how to respond. I mean, because frankly, like if you look at the situation in the United States, 
where obviously the Trump administration <laughs> just like isn't taking it seriously. And of course, you have the whole dimension of, you know, people not wanting to go to hospital because they don't want to pay and all that, that kind of thing. So, you know, it says something very positive about Italy that, that basically people's health is being put first. Yeah, I suppose a, a kind of a residual consequence of, of the existence of social democracy, however frayed and, and uh, reduced it may be. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the Italian the Italian health system is, is very good. So, you know, obviously, the the attempt is to slow the peak of the crisis and make sure that the system isn't like entirely overwhelmed, because it's not like you can magic up new hospital beds uh, out of nowhere. Um, obviously, there is a problem, a general problem of, you know, the aging population, and the fact that the investment hasn't gone up in recent years. Uh, also, of course, you know, this has knock-on effects in terms of uh, with you know people with other conditions not being able to get treatment and so on. But you know, I, I uh, you know, I guess Italians can be thankful that they have a public healthcare system uh, at this point. On a different issue, we've seen politicians from the Lega blaming migrants for the outbreak, including migrants from from Libya, of whom there's obviously no reason to believe that they are uh, carrying the virus. What's been the scale of of these kind of racist narratives? Has this been a, a you know a marginal issue? Has it been quite widespread? And and where is it emanating from? Is it just elected politicians, or have we seen some of this from the Italian media as as well? I mean, of course, it, it's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. And it's like a instrumentalization of a crisis. And it's very it's very sad that uh, nationally renowned uh, politicians say something like this. But this, of course, was a sentiment that was spread among the, the population as well. I mean, like we saw it in the beginning of the of the crisis when the virus was only connected. I mean, we believe when we believe that the virus was only connected to uh, to China and but then uh, there were at least two or three cases of uh, racist violent attacks that uh, that I remember and that showed how people reacted in a way that it's irrational but it is also a direct consequence of how the political debate uh, became in the last at least uh, year or two years very polarized um, and most of the time based of uh, based on fake news and evaluations of a situation which are completely untrue so um, that was very sad to assess I have to say and it was also very sad to see that uh, as soon as they realized that the virus wasn't actually connected to China anymore that it had for example if you look at the patient one uh, the the guy f- uh, from um, Codogno, mm, the the thirty eight year old, the, the first person Ex- to to catch the virus. Exactly, he he wasn't. I mean, apparently they did. I mean, the authorities didn't manage to connect him with China in any way. So that showed to people that the virus it couldn't be uh, spread only from Chinese people, of course. And so they started to realize it was our problem as well. And so they started to change their uh, their rhetoric. And so you saw like uh, people like Salvini starting to say, you know, we have to be together. We have to be strong together. We have to be, they changed, they completely changed their, their narrative from it's their fault to it's our problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like um, at the start of the, the, the issue, there was, 
you know, it's incredible, like the, you know, like, for example, like Luca Zaya, who's the Lega uh, governor of, of Veneto, which is obviously a hard hit. He said that, uh, you know, we've all seen Chinese people eating rats. Uh, and, you know, there was stuff like even quite mainstream papers like um, Il Mattino, which is like a centrist paper in Naples, like ran a story which was like, uh, it would be like if we said in English, like, um, look at these slitty eyed tourists walking around without masks. So like very intense uh, anti-Chinese racism. And Salvini even said something which implied that uh, Chinese people were arriving uh, by boat from across the Mediterranean, although, of course, it would take quite a while to travel by dinghy from China to southern Italy. But, I mean, the, the fact that the other countries started uh, to impose restrictions on Italians uh, obviously helped to, to shift the debate somewhat. Loads of countries, even more than a week ago, had, had started imposing uh, checks on, on uh, arrivals from Italian airports. But, I mean, although I think the the sort of specifically anti-immigrant argument has sort of weakened, I think in general the whole issue sort of plays into a certain uh, mood in Italian politics, which the Lega has tended to feed on, like a sort of distrust towards globalization, um, a sort of fear, a sort of sense of social collapse. And, you know, I think all of those things are... You know, those are kind of sentiments and feelings that are likely to 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 help the the far right. I mean, I think although so, so I mean, as I, I wrote an article for for Jacobin about a week ago, I mean, I think even if the Lega's handling of the health system is bad, and even if the the Conte government's measures are are you know relatively uh, effective in terms of containing the virus, I think the whole case of coronavirus feeds a pre-existing critique of like globalization, uh, a sense that you know Italy needs to cut itself off rather more. Um, what we and, so, and so presumably, sorry, David, I mean, presumably that would include the, the population management measures, right? So even if they are the correct thing to do and, and they are effective in stopping the virus, uh, it perhaps normalizes uh, this kind of uh, procedure which which may set uh, something of a precedent further down the line when we're thinking about uh, migrant crises or, or, or climate change, for instance. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this acts as a call for better control on people coming in, on surveillance, and so on. Uh, Antonella's quite right that we don't. Um, you know, there's no there's no connection established with uh, like China or someone like importing uh, the virus. But I think uh, e- even so, I mean. And of course, you know, we don't know whether coronavirus is going to become a, a recurring or you know, seasonal uh, issue. But it would seem obvious that, that this situation sort of calls for more controls and more bolster that kind of uh, politics. Uh, of course, the other dimension of this is the, is the relationship with uh, the European Union in the sense that um, uh, European authorities have uh, said that there'll be some sort of relaxation of Italy's, uh, you know, the, like the limits on uh, Italy's bu- uh, budget deficit. Um, so, you know, some extra spending will be allowed, but um, it remains to be seen like how much that that's actually going to be and how how permanent that is. Because obviously, it's going to cause not only a few billion in extra spending now, but risks pushing the country into a recession, which which could be much more long lasting. You've been listening to Politics Theory Other, a podcast from Tribune Magazine. If you've been enjoying the show, please consider rating or reviewing it on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week.